Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Gary Alloway. All right, so every year, my family goes on vacation to Hilton Head, South Carolina. Um, it's about a 12-hour drive. It makes no sense that we go there. Like, we drive past the Jersey Shore, kind of. We drive past the Delaware beaches, right? We go all the way down past Virginia Beach. We go all the way to the Outer Banks, past Myrtle Beach, and finally, 12 hours later, we make it to Hilton Head, South Carolina. And there's two reasons we do this. First is my parents visited there in 1982 and bought a timeshare. So we've been going every year for like 40 years. So it's just easier to go to the same place every year. Like we literally go to the same restaurants and like I know the mini golf holes there. And like every couple of years we're like, should we go somewhere else? Maybe it would make a lot more sense. And then we end up at the same place. And then the second is because it's actually pretty great. If anybody's ever been there, it's a pretty great place to visit and go on vacation. But it takes 12 hours to get there, which means that for nine years now, we have done a 12-hour drive every summer with little kids. And to be honest, at this point, our kids are actually like pretty good travelers. They do actually really good on a road trip. But still, even at their best, there are still at least three to five freakouts every trip. We just did this like two weeks ago and it's still even on the best drive, there's still a couple moments where everything goes to disaster. At least a couple times on the trip, right? The water bottle will fall out of the seat and go under the seat in the front, which is a disaster, right? Or all the markers will spill out of the bag at once. Or believe it or not, Augie and Rosie will dare to commit the ultimate sin. Do you guys know what the ultimate sibling sin of road trips is? Fighting? No? Even worse than that, to stick a toe over the middle line. (laughs) To invade the other person's space, to threaten their sovereignty, which warrants an immediate and major freak out, right? Rosie's on my side! Augie's on my side! And when these freakouts happen, of course, the like stress level in the car immediately rises. And then Susan ends up saying some version of this thing. If you can just not freak out, we can figure this out together. If you can just not freak out, we can figure this out together. Now, it's not actually that easy to get the water bottle out from in front of the front seat, right? Or to get all the markers back in the bag. But freaking out doesn't help. It might take some creative thinking or a joint parent-kid effort, or maybe we need to just actually wait till the next road stop, right? But freaking out never helps us actually solve the problem together, at least not in a way that is relationally helpful, that doesn't end up with everybody yelling at each other. And so we end up saying that thing. If you can just not freak out, we can figure this out together. So like I said, this morning we start our new series on what did Jesus teach about faith? And we're looking at Mark 4, the calming of the storm. And if you remember this story, Jesus has been teaching by the Sea of Galilee. 
And at the end of the day, he says, let's go over to the other side. So they get in the boat, they're traveling, Jesus falls asleep, and then somewhere in the middle of the night, a furious squall comes up. That's what the NIV says. The NRSV says, a great gale rose. Either way, I have the... I've always been partial to the Jesus Storybook Bible in this one. I like the illustrations here. And it says that the waves broke out over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. You can go to the next one. So it's a big deal, right? Like, we can kind of, like, look down on the disciples and kind of make fun of them. But, like, it's a big deal. The storm is scary. And yet, what do the disciples do? They do. And what are they, what's their emotional state at that point? They're freaking out. They go wake up Jesus and say, teacher, do you not care if we drown? They go into full freak out mode. And Jesus gets up, he rebukes the wind and says to the waves, quiet and be still. And the wind dies down and it was completely calm. And Jesus says to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So faith can mean many things. And in our passage, Jesus rebukes the disciples and says, do you still have no faith? And as I read this passage, I found myself asking, what is the faith that Jesus is asking of them? Because I think we're allowed to have some reasonable fear, right? Where I think we're allowed to acknowledge the storm is the storm. But I think what Jesus is asking of them is this. Faith enough to not freak out. Faith enough to freak out. When the storm comes in our lives, I think it's a little like the kids in the backseat of the car. Jesus is saying something similar to us. Like, yeah, that is a problem. Yeah, I see what you're going through. That's a big deal. You don't need to pretend it's it's not a big deal. That's not faith. But if you can just not freak out, we can figure this out together. So that's our challenge for this morning. When the storm comes, can you have faith enough to not freak out? You can be concerned, you can be afraid, you can call on God. But if you can have faith enough to not freak out, I believe you and God can actually walk together through the storm. And I believe you can actually grow through the storm. And you can actually come out the other side deeper, fuller, and a more meaningful person and a more deeper, fuller, more meaningful relationship with God. So that's the calling. When the storm comes, can you have faith enough to not freak out? Amen? Amen. So one of the things that's funny about this passage is the disciples get chided for not having faith. And yet I'm not actually sure what they should have done. Right? What was the right move? in response to the storm. So we're going to play a little quiz game. What should the disciples have done? I'm actually curious what everyone thinks. Storm comes up. Jesus is asleep in the boat. Should they have option one, pray and wait? Like get down on their knees, pray and say, well, when when the time is right, Jesus will wake up and he'll intervene and he'll stop the storm and we'll be okay. 
Option two, start paddling and assume Jesus will wake up when the time is right. Kind of like go forward in faith, you know, like keep like do something about it, but also trust that God will show up and provide for you at the right time. Option three, go bold in the spirit, rebuke the storm. Should they have said, Jesus has sent us out in his name. We have the Holy Spirit. Let's do this miracle ourselves. It's not, you know, a glory to us, right? But it's like, should we do the thing? Or option four, go through it with God. Should they have said, what will be, will be. And it's our job to find God in the midst of the storm. What do you think? Who likes option one? How about option two? A couple option twos, okay. How about option three? How about option four? Okay. The reality is each of these actually has some biblical grounding, right? You could make a good case for any of them. Option one, pray and wait. I mean, this is the Israelites in the wilderness saying we won't move till the pillar of fire moves. We don't go until God shows up. Option two would probably be like Paul going out on his church planning adventure saying, I don't know where I'm going to sleep or how I'm going to be fed, but I trust that God will meet me there and I go forward in faith. Option three might be a more Pentecostal approach or even like a high social justice approach to say that God has given us the keys to the kingdom, right? What we bind will be bound and what we loose will be loosed. And so like, go do the Jesus stuff, bring the kingdom about. And option four might be Jesus in the garden saying, not my will, but yours be done. Saying that I know I need to take the cross and that is where I will find God and that's where I'll find the resurrection. And I thought about this this week, because when the storm comes, depending on where we're at and what storm it is, we might be being called in any of those directions. And in fact, part of what it means to have faith might mean to not just go to your go-to, but actually sit and listen. The response to the storm is probably to listen. God, I've lost my job. God, I've been diagnosed with cancer. God, my family is falling apart. Which way do you want me to go? And depending on the time and the season, it might be any of these four, right? It might be something else entirely. Faith can look like many things. And so the challenge is when the storm comes up is to meet God in discernment, right? But you know what will absolutely prevent you from going through that discernment process? Freaking out. Freaking out. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) When you are freaking out, the last thing you're able to do is sit with God with open hands and be like, God, how do you want me to respond to this storm well? What does it mean to walk in faith with you? Do you want us to be to get on our knees and pray and wait? Or do you want us to go forward? Or do you want us to rebuke the storm? Or what do you want us to do? You will not be able to do that work if you were freaking out. Do you guys know what I mean? When we're freaking out, we can't listen. We can't process. We shut out relationships. 
we can't walk through it well and we'll generally just go for whatever route is the fastest. So the faith process is being willing to acknowledge your emotions, right? I am scared, I am worried, I am upset, but also not freaking out. And if you can do that, you can pull the whole thing aside and say, God, where do we go next? And some of this is creative thinking, right? It's, a, it's the willingness to kind of hold our problem up to the side and see it well and be like, God, how do I walk through that? And some of it's holding our problem up to the biblical narrative and being like, where do we find ourselves in this story? When, as I go through this trial, how does this fit into the larger story of God? But some of it's also a deeply relational transformative process. As we throw ourselves into the arms of God, as we enter into the presence of God, as we allow ourselves to be loved through the storm, to listen, to receive, to let God meet us in our fear, to seek out not just what it means to be practical, but what it means to be Jesus through the storm. Do you guys know what I'm talking about with that? Like there is something to be said for like, God, what's the practical response to this thing? But there's also this moment where you go, God, how do we walk through this thing well? The storm is coming. The storm is here. How do we walk through it well? And I think that if we're willing to do that with open hands, if we're willing to do that with God, some powerful things can happen, right? We can actually experience the love of God in ways that we haven't experienced it before. We can grow in God and grow in faith and grow in love and grow in depth and maturity. We can learn how to process pain. We'll see aspects of ourselves that need to be cut away, right? Behaviors that need to be pruned and narratives that need to be corrected. And we'll find aspects of Christ within ourselves we didn't know were there. If we're willing to go through it with God, we can come through the storm looking and smelling more like Jesus. We can actually grow through the storm. I had trouble putting words on that. I just had this image in my mind this week of just walking down the road with God as the storm clouds gather around us and just knowing that it will be okay, that we will actually come to the other side and it will be okay. And again, sometimes we think faith means denying the storm. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's walking down that road with Jesus, knowing the storm is there, but also knowing that we will walk through to the other side. I also know that to go through that process requires me to not freak out. Now, in my experience, God will still work if I'm freaking out. We'll probably end up at the same place we would have otherwise. But what will I miss is that deep relational growth, that ability to grow in faith, that ability to deepen as a human being, to become more like Jesus. I think we actually miss out on that whole process when we freak out. 
I've had that experience quite a few times. Maybe you can relate to this. The, you know, like the bank account dips too low and I freak out, right? We're going to, we're going to go bankrupt. We'll go, we'll be on the streets. We'll be hungry. Everything will be terrible. And so I get super busy and I try 15 different solutions and I get stressed out and I run myself ragged trying to solve the problem. Like none of you have ever done this. (laughs) And then like the random check shows up in the mail and provides just what we need. And you know what I end up saying at the end of that process? Sorry, God. Sorry. Sorry I missed it. Sorry I didn't trust you. Sorry. God still provides, but rather than go through it with God and grow in faith and grow in prayer and deepen in relationship with God, I end up ragged and tired and apologizing to God. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like... Rather than that experience where I get to the end and we say, God, you've been so good through the storm. I'm, I'm sitting there going, yeah, God, you've been good. I messed it up. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's that process of having to come back to God on the other side of the storm rather than having deepened in God through the storm. We still end up at the same destination, but at the end, I have to come back to God rather than having grown through it. I always liked in Matthew 6, Jesus says this. He says, who of you by worrying? I always like the variant version of this. Who of you by worrying can add a single cubit to his height? For anybody who doesn't know, a cubit is approximately 18 inches. Um, So that would be a lot of uh, height to add. But I I like Jesus. I like that version of it, right? Because it's it's even more ridiculous than who could add an hour to their life. Because it's like, who of you by worrying could make yourself taller? You can't, right? It's not that worry doesn't make sense. It's not that it doesn't, it's not reasonable in the moment, but what does it do? What does anxiety truly do to us, right? Does it actually help us solve the problem? Anxiety has a tremendous way of cutting you off from yourself, from others, and from God. You still end up at the same destination either way, and God will provide, but the freak out will prevent you from going through it with God. And so God will still be God either way. But can you have faith enough to not freak out? I will also say not all freak outs are alike. You know, the disciples are freaking out, but what do they do? Yeah, they go get Jesus, right? (laughs) And they're a little bit dramatic about it, right? Teacher, don't you care if we die? But they also go get Jesus, and Jesus takes care of the storm. What they don't do is say, well, I guess Jesus doesn't care. I mean, he's just sleeping down there. I guess he doesn't care about us. Let's grab the oars and start rowing to shore. There's a big difference there. So I will say, if you're going to freak out, freak out towards God, if that makes sense. If you're going to freak out, freak out into the arms of God, right? If you need to kick and scream and cry like a toddler and be selfish and pathetic and whiny and just fall apart in the arms of God. You might get rebuked by God. 
you know, Jesus chides the disciples, right? But that's not actually the worst thing in the world, especially if we trust God to be our loving father. You know, you might need to hear the words of like, all right, you need to get over yourself or all right, this is a little bit dramatic or all right, like, let's, let's go forward. But that's not so bad, is it? And in fact, freaking out might clear up the space where you can begin to walk towards God together, where you can walk through the storm together. Sometimes freaking out is what you need to do to clear out that emotional space so that you can walk well through the storm. So if you're going to freak out, freak out towards God. Don't grab the oars and go it alone. And if you're going to freak out, go wake up Jesus. And if you need to be a little dramatic, be a little dramatic. And then you can find the space to go through it together. This leaves us with one last question, of course, is when the storm comes, how do we not freak out? Again, the storm is real. Faith doesn't mean pretending it's not. We live in a world with death and violence and cancer and insecurity and strife. And when the storm comes, how do you not freak out? There are probably many answers to that, but I want to give us the one that this passage gives us. The disciples freak out and Jesus calms the storm. And what do they say? The conclusion of this passage. Who is this? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They realize who Jesus is. They realize they aren't dealing with just a prophet or a benign, pleasant God or a removed cosmic watchmaker. They are face to face with Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the maker of heaven and earth, the all-consuming fire, the Lord of all. Even the wind and the waves obey him. God is bigger than the storm. And so I want us to try and take that on, that when the storm comes, we can remember that. Even the wind and the waves obey him. The reason to not freak out when the storm comes is not because the storm isn't scary. It's because God is. And God is bigger. And the story is bigger. And even the wind and the waves obey him. Amen? Amen. And so we trust God not to deliver us from every trial and not always even to save us from death. The storms will come. And yet God is bigger than the storm. Always. Even on the day we walk into death, we remember that God is still bigger than the storm. Always. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So whatever storm you're going through, I'm not going to tell you it's not a big deal. It might be a really big deal. It might be difficult and scary and painful, but God is still bigger. Amen? Amen. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him.
So it's Labor Day weekend. It's the start of a new school year. And if you're like me, this is the time of year where you're kind of looking over the year ahead. You're saying, what's the fall going to bring? What's the winter going to bring? What's the spring going to bring? For better or for worse, this is basically New Year's in the American cultural system, right? So I want you to think about that. As the start of a new year, what are the challenges you're facing this year? What are the storms in your life? Then as you think of those things, try to rest in this truth. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Even the wind and the waves obey him. God is bigger and God will walk through it with you. I don't know what the answer to your storm is, but I know that if you go through it with God, you will grow in love, in depth, in maturity, and in Christ. And you will come out of the storm in Christ. So when the storm comes, can we have faith enough to not freak out? To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.